Hey y'all, and welcome back to Moose Reads Good. I'm your host, Kat, and I sometimes read good. Before we get started, I am still suffering through a sinus infection, so if you hear weird mouth noises, it's on me. I am too tired to edit every single little thing out, and yeah. Anyway, I guess that's all I've got for today. Let's get in on it with Starlight Chapter 8 by Sacrifice Them to the Squid. The sun is melting into the horizon like an ugly ingot when Legolas finally speaks again. Tariel, my father, she knows exactly what he means to say and shakes her head. I know what I've done. I accept my punishment. Where will you go? I know not, but I will make my way. Would he take you in? Legolas asks quietly. It cuts deeper than she wants, because a small kernel in her heart burns with irrational hope. It could never be. It was just a dream. The dwarves have no love of elves, she makes herself say. One elf, perhaps. He's so kind and patient. He could very easily take his father's side in this and ridicule her for what she's done. But if he has any misgivings, he's kept silent. Despite herself, tears spark in her eyes. Do you think she could have loved me? Amralame. Starlight. She wants to go to Keeley. She wants to throw herself to her knees and tell him everything she's thought and felt since the moment she saw him. She wants to scream that, yes, he lives by her hand, but she lives by his, and she is the one who suddenly feels alive. She wants to take his face in her hands and kiss him until they're both breathless, and whatever bound Luthien to Baron will be nothing against what she feels. Thranduil would never let his son pledge himself to a lowly sylvan elf, Surely a son of Durin falls under the same constraint. She is here, back against a rock in a dead, blasted landscape with no home and no certainty. She has chosen her path. Even if it leads away from the one she loves, she will give her dying breath to save him. Legless glances at the sky. If we are going in, we should move now. They're just standing when the air explodes in a cacophony of unearthly shrieks. Barely a breath later, the surge breaks over them, thousands of dense, leathery bodies and slapping wings, bringing with them the noxious stench of guano and death. When it passes, Tariel risks a glance over the rock that shields them. They are swarming. They're moving in a dark cloud, swirling up and over the imposing gates of Gundabad, like smoke on the wind. Those bats are bred for only one thing, Legla says grimly. She knows in her soul, but she makes herself ask. For what? For war. Somewhere down below, a horn blows, long and hollow, and when Tariel peers over the edge again, she sees its source. A huge warg carrying an even bigger orc, his body armor looking more like shrapnel than deliberate plate. Beside her, Legless draws a quick breath. Bulg, the orc who invaded Mirkwood and shot Keeley. An army is swelling up beneath him, an endless rolling wave of black, flickering with torchlight like malevolent stars. Bulg took the information he gleaned, went back to his lair, and raised an army. This is a second force, Legolas breathes. Azog leads another. It must be. He would not send his son where he could go himself. Two orc armies will converge on Erebor. 
panic flashes through her body like lightning. The dragon is slain. The mountain is a place of vast wealth, coveted by more than the dwarves, and this force spilling forth from Fel Angband intends to claim it, along with other unknown forces already on their way. Whatever Legolas came to glean, whatever he suspected or feared, is already coming to pass. We must warn the others. Legolas is already sliding down the embankment. We may be too late. Hurry! The mare is more than ready, straining against her tether with frantic eyes. You are lean, Clethiel, Legolas urges, but she needs no encouragement. It's two days' hard ride from Gundabad to Erebor, and the mare flies as if possessed by the wind itself. They gallop through the night well into midday before she abruptly stops, lathered and panting. Tariel has spent the day in paroxysm of anxiety, her heart thundering in her ears like hoofbeats and the runestone clutched tightly in her hand. She's painfully aware of the horizon, desperately trying not to blink lest she miss some distant sign of oncoming army. We cannot delay, she says urgently as Legolas rubs the horse down. We are losing ground. We can run, he says, but then we will be heading into battle at disadvantage. This is a great distance. Worry claws at her chest. As if reading her mind, Legolas puts a feather-light hand on her shoulder. Tariel, all is not yet lost. Tariel wants to believe him. She has no choice. This is so far from Mirkwood, so far from anything she's ever known. Legolas has over 2,000 more years of experience and eyes even more keen than a hawk. She has to rely on what he says. She has only ever felt this young and helpless once, and that memory is choked with ash. So she lets him take the lead, sitting on the bare, rocky ground and nibbling Lembus. A heavy haze of clouds obscures all but the barest hint of moon, and although she lies awake most of the night searching, she cannot find a single star. The war has already come to Erebor. They can see the fighting from a leak off, smoke billowing up into the clear, cold air. We are late, Legolas says hoarsely. Azog's forces outran us. But how? An unseen hand clamps around Tariel's throat. Every fear, every desperate hope, it converges all at once. Keeley is here. Keeley is a warrior. It is not in his nature to run from a fight when he can charge into its middle. Weaponless, he'd still launched himself onto the ramparts of the river, reckless and fierce and more glorious than any star above. The curve of his shoulders, the ease of the sword in his hand. Do you think she could have loved me? He is hers. She wrenched the poison from his veins and claimed him in the face of death. If this is his fight, then it becomes hers. I know how I feel. I am not afraid. Something ignites inside her. He is a son of the line of Durin. She has no family, no lineage, nothing to offer him besides her bow and her blades and her heart, but those he has gladly and without reservation. Mirkwood soldiers, Legolas cries out, pointing. The distant figures come into focus, ugly black orcs and gilded elves that swirl amid them. Thrandall came. Thrandall came. He did not come out of charity. She knows better than that. She knows there were gems in Erebor that he covets. Was that enough to drag him from his forest stronghold? It matters not. He is here, and that's more than she could ask. I do not see my father on the battlefield, Legolas says, turning Calithiel to the stone causeway. 
If he is within the city, we must find him. The mare, sensing the swell of battle before her, stretches out into a hard gallop. Dale is in chaos. As soon as she has a line of sight, Tariel brings an arrow to her cheek and lets it fly. Men and orcs and elves fight and convulse in the city streets, screaming war cries that climb the walls in feral cacophony. Gandalf! Legolas shouts, pulling the horse up and nimbly sliding to his feet. Tariel immediately follows, her weapon ready and drawn. The courtyard is small and dusted with snow. A few bodies lie in the immediate vicinity, but in this moment, the fight is removed to the nearby street, creating a small bubble of respite from the greater tumult. As the old wizard approaches, there is no time for greeting or preamble. There is a second army. Bolg leads a force of Gundabad orcs. They are almost upon us. Gundabad! The old wizard has ash in his beard and fury in his eyes. That was their plan all along. Azog engages our forces and Bolg sweeps in from the north. North? Sputters someone? Too small and beardless to be a dwarf, but perhaps a human child? But he looks well-developed and more self-assured than a child. There isn't time now. She can figure it out later. Where exactly is the north? Ravenhill, Gandalf says, already walking purposefully back into the fray. Ravenhill? Thorns up there! The little man's face goes still and blank, but then he shakes himself and determinedly strides after the wizard. And Feely and Keely! They're all up there. Keely. More might be said, but Tariel doesn't hear it. Her heart is suddenly in her throat, her whole body frozen as she drags her eyes skyward. Out of the mist and the smoke, a peak rises, taller than Dale's towers, but still overshadowed by Erebor's icy bulk. At its top, amid the ruins of an ancient dwarf lookout, stands a collection of wooden insignias like bats vivisected and set to display. Keely is up there. Of course he is. He will be wherever Thorn is, and Thorn will aim for Bolg and his lieutenants. In the street, a cadre of elf soldiers go by, weaving through the fight with their bows and blades drawn, effortless as dry leaves in their swift journey across the cobbles. But she also sees their corpses lying alone or in small groups, felled by orc arrows and swords. Somewhere, Thranduil is here. At that moment, the clear, resonant sound of an elven horn slices through the chaos. Randall is here, but she knows that horn. She's blown that horn, only once, when the spiders came too fast and thick for her small company. That is not a horn to inspire an army. It's a horn calling for retreat. Without knowing what she's going to do and a dizzying mix of fear and fury in her chest, she leaps after the sound. Gandalf is already there, hastening through the crowd and skidding in the dirty snow. My lord, he calls to the elven king, his voice like a great rock side, elemental and deep. Dispatch this force to Raven Hill. The dwarves are about to be overrun. Thorn must be warned. By all means, warn him, Thranduil says coldly, and whatever hope has bloomed in Tariel's heart is dashed to ruin. He brushes past Gandalf. I have spent enough elvish blood in defense of this accursed land. No more. Everything hazes to white, and before she has time to reconsider, she steps out into the rubble-strewn street to plant herself firmly in his path. You will go no further, Tariel says, white cold rage surging through her body. The ruined stone is heavy and reassuring in her pocket. You will not turn away. Not this time. Get out of my way, Randall snaps, and for a moment she falters. She's already incurred his wrath, and now she's openly defying him. 
if she had any hope for redemption, it's evaporated like a final breath. The dwarves will be slaughtered. Yes, they will, he sneers. Today, tomorrow, one year hence, a hundred years from now, what does it matter? They are mortal. Without any conscious thought, the bow is in her hands and the arrow is not. At her king. At her king. The man who took her and protected her when she had nowhere else to go. Reckless. Beyond reckless. She's horrified at herself. No elf would dare draw a weapon akin, but here she is. Perhaps she's gone mad, she thinks distantly, poisoned to her marrow by the mere thought of a dwarf. What's done cannot be undone. Not now. Tariel is unraveling. Whatever sense she once had is being lost in quick, short breaths. She is a falling star, a phosphor-bright streak of flame and hubris across the sky, dying as she plummets. She cannot stop. Keeley does what his kin bid. He follows Thorn without question. She, she is the reckless one. Yes, he's mortal. So very, very mortal. The poison iron smell of the Morgul wound still clings to the back of her throat, the sound of his screams echoing in every distant cry. She cannot deny this truth. And yet, and yet, his name is Starlight. You think your life is worth so much more than theirs when you have no love in it, she hears herself cry. A day, a year, all eternity, he gave her a promise, one that's as pure and as precious as any she's ever been given. The wood elves revered the stars, but Keeley was right. The light is distant and cold compared to the light she has found in his face. Thrandall may have loved once, but in the long dark centuries since, he's forgotten and withered. The poison of Mirkwood isn't from dark forces beyond its borders. The poison of Mirkwood is him. There is no love in you. Thrandall took her in. He gave her a home. He's favored her. She would be nothing without him, a foundling, an orphan. But that is past, an empty husk thrown amid the ugly words between them. She doesn't know what she expects of him. She does not expect the blank, white fury on his face as he stares at her as if seeing her for the first time. So this is how you manifest your treachery, he says, his voice dangerously calm. Would you now commit a kinslaying? Naja surges forward and her arrow trembles. I have been witness to far greater betrayals than you could ever commit, Randall goes on, his eyes glittering. Come, put your arrow to my throat. She almost does. For a fraction of a breath, she wants to. But horror snaps her back. You think this is love? He hisses. Is that how you would justify yourself? A pretty word delivered with a poison core. With a single movement almost too fast for her to see, his blade flashes out and she's suddenly left with two disparate hands and fragments of her bow. What do you know of love? He's always been a capricious master. But for the first time, she's truly afraid of him, and doubly afraid of what she's become that she's provoked himself. Nothing, Randul snarls. What you feel for that dwarf is not real. It is real. It's the most real thing she's ever felt. All her days up to now are a soft, focused daydream. And in that moment, in the dungeons when the runestone crossed her palm, she woke to a fierce and visceral reality. Whatever she was before is gone. Do you think she could have loved me? You think this is love? 
her king repeats, bringing his blade up to her chin. Are you ready to die for it? She is already dying for it. She has tasted it and will never be free. Elves love once in their infinite lives, and she will carry this pain until the end of Arda. He could not have loved his wife and still remain so willfully ignorant of the plight of this world. Fury floods into her mouth. How dare he accuse her of betrayal? He brought his soldiers here, and now he's withdrawing, just when the need for them is the greatest. He treats his aid as a clever temptation. The edge of his sword pricks the tender skin of her neck, and she closes her eyes, stealing herself for a vicious attempt to escape. She cannot fail Keeley. Nothing else matters. If you harm her, Legless suddenly growls, his sword pushing against his father's. I will join her in exile. Turning to her in the stunned silence, he says quietly, I will go with you. Her recklessness has destroyed both their lives. She herself is nothing more than ash that has not yet burned. Legless, however, he may live, but he will never regain his father's trust. If she had not lost all sense of reason, she would grieve. Instead, instead, she accepts him as if he owes her his loyalty, unable to raise a single mote of gratitude from the seething tempest in her chest. She needs to get to Ravenhill. Nothing else matters. So with Legless at her side, she runs. All right, that was chapter eight of Starlight by Sacrifice Them to the Squid. Um, if you want to read more of her stuff, the links are in the description. As always, I hope you all have a good day, a good evening, a good afternoon, wherever you are at in your day. I hope it is good. Um, until next time, see ya.